Welcome to the Passport to Maryland Cannabis podcast, presented by Explore Maryland Cannabis. This podcast takes a 360-degree look at our Maryland cannabis ecosystem. Each week, sit back and join us as we hear from different voices around the state, including my own, your host, Keisha, the CEO of Explore Maryland Cannabis. With interviews and stories, headlines and updates from regulatory to culture, our goal with this podcast is to bring together all parts of the ecosystem. Now, let's get to the show. All right, it's another week, and it's another week where we're presenting the headlines that you may have missed from last week. Now, it has been a very slow month getting started to everything that happens in Maryland cannabis, but there are three things that I want to bring to you today that I think you should know about. October actually is National Pet CBD Month. I know you didn't know. That's why I told you because I also didn't know. In the article that uh, this information was dropped in my lap, it was a Maryland quoted CBD shop that uh, actually provided information about the fact that it is illegal for veterinarians to prescribe CBD products or recommend them to their patients. So how do we help our furry friends take a chill pill or (laughs) a chew with CBD this month? Make sure to ask your local CBD hemp shop or your favorite furry friend bud tender for assistance. They are a wealth of knowledge. And if you happen to know someone who we can chat with during National Pet CBD Month, let us know. Last week, we talked about Baltimore County Council holding a meeting around the hemp restrictions, the zoning that happens, and update to that, they halted the meeting. There wasn't much more information that was provided as to why they halted it. But as that information comes out, be sure to check in with this podcast. I'll be able to give you the updates on that. And last but certainly not least, Cannabis Votes 2020. So Cannabis Votes 2020 is an initiative that is put on by the Cannabis Patient Advocacy Association. They're a nonprofit organization that is helping put on this drive. And what the purpose of this drive is to elevate the voices of medical cannabis patients and the community members through political empowerment and direct action. That direct action is assistance and education during the voter registration time. So... There are a few dispensaries that have already held the voter registration and education drives in their locations, but this weekend, Columbia Care, Curia Wellness, and Nirvana Center will be holding these drives as well. If you want more information about that, be sure to check out Cannabis Patient Advocacy Association or our social media for additional information. So last month was, like I said, a little bit slow, so I am super excited to get into our interview with Professor Shad So Professor Shad is the chair of the Department of Business Management and a professor at Anne Arundel Community College. In 2018, he proposed the subject Entrepreneurial Opportunities in Emerging Markets, Marijuana Legalization. What a mouthful. But 
It's a program with the goal of preparing students for entry-level jobs in the Maryland medical cannabis industry, medical cannabis industry, and the Maryland medical cannabis industry. Professor also proposed a multidisciplinary 16-credit program in which students would graduate with a certificate. He actually talks about that in this episode. And the formal name of that program is the Medical Cannabis Specialist Program. So stay tuned after this break to hear more about his journey and what's going on with BPA-227. We've had a few different guests who've talked about this and a few that will be talking about this later. So it's a good one. It's a long one. Pull up a chair, grab you a cup of coffee, and uh, jump right in. Into the conversation and, uh, you know, catch up and see what's going on. So we talked in April during Spore Maryland Cannabis Week, and so much has changed. Definitely didn't think we would be in the house or, you know, under quarantine this long. But um, what's been going on with you? Um, listen, it's been, it's been exciting. Um, the, the, my class doesn't start for uh, another week still doesn't start till the week of the 14th. So I'm still getting ready for that and still gotta, I still have to envision it very differently. My, my, my class had always been done live and I, I always felt that that was a, a safe space also for my students. Um, I like to say in my class that what you say in BPA 227 stays in BPA 227. And I thought having that physical, space where we were together was was a safe space you know and it was a class at night so the the campus was less full and things like that but um you know it uh it it it, it was different so to pivot to a completely online version of the classes i have to reimagine some things i mean a lot of it i'm going to be doing very similarly in terms of interviewing my guest speakers and instead of them sitting next to me in a chair we'll be our heads will be next to each other in a box um, on Zoom or, or, or whatever we're on, StreamYard. Um, but um, uh, uh, that that part is is okay. Some of the assignments don't work as well online. So I'm still re-envisioning them, uh, re-envisioning the class is how I want to make sure it comes out. And I one of the things that's been so tremendous about the class is the bonds that have been formed in there. Yeah. I mean, I have people that are working on businesses together because they have met in the class. So to, to, to not have, I, I still want to make sure I can create an environment where not only are they comfortable with me and willing to share things, because you have to share some personal things. I mean, a lot of people are drawn to the class because of medical issues that they have. Yeah. Um, and those are very personal and stuff. But I want them to also feel uh, uh, comfy in an environment where they can reach out to each other. Uh, that has been such a, 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 a satisfying part of the of the class. And even more satisfying is when students from different classes have reached out to each other and, um, uh, you know, have, have started businesses and are working together. And that part, that is great. So that's my job. That's my job. I need to create that environment where they can feel comfortable and can share and stuff like that. And it's, I mean, think about just a cannabis culture in general. Cannabis culture breeds community. And that's been one of the biggest pivots or struggles that we've had with the organization is how do we foster that sense of community virtually? Yeah, you know, and I'm, it, it is a community. It's a tremendous community. I, I appreciate, I appreciate the people that have been have reached out to me when I started the class in 2015, I was an idiot. I literally, I'll admit this now, when the students were mentoring, mentioning things like shatter and wax and butter and stuff, I had no idea. In no idea what, wow. what, what they were even talking about. Um, but 
yes, there is this tremendous sense of community now. Here is my fear. There's money to be made now. The money is relatively easy. I, I, again, don't believe there's much money in the medical phase. You have to wait to get to recreational for the, for the faucet to get turned on. But it's going to get competitive. Yeah. All right. It's going to get competitive. And I'm wondering, does that you know, sense of community, does that sense of willing to help each other out? I, 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 you know, listen, I know a number of dispensary owners in the state of Maryland, and they are absolutely willing to help each other out right now. But when times get tough and when it, you're, you're fighting over fewer customers or, you know, we like to say in, in business and marketing, you know, you think of the market as a pie. When the big, when the pie is getting bigger, and right now the cannabis pie is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. So all you have to do is if you have 10% of that pie, as the pie gets bigger, your slice is getting bigger. At one point, the pie is going to stop getting as, it's going to at least stop accelerating its, its growth. And then the only way you're going to expand your business is to take it from another business. I know. And therefore, will we, will that community, will that you know, that, that, that shared thing that we all feel right now, because you know what? I always feel it's like kind of an us and them thing. When there's a them out there, them being the stupid government, them being the stupid people that don't understand how wonderful cannabis can be and the wonderful, you know, and I'm not talking about the recreational part, the, the, the tremendous stories that we hear of the medical value of this, um, you know, will that disappear when it gets a little tougher out there uh, competitively? But we're in a we're in a great time now. It's still expanding. Listen, we we have clearly survived COVID, um, and that is what you know. And, and of all the things that came out of COVID, the fact that that cannabis businesses were determined to be essential—that's a great thing. That that's is the a, best. That is that is. So the fact that most of my students that had jobs prior to COVID are still working in dispensaries today. So that's been, that, that's, you know, of the, of the very few good things that have happened, that, that is one of them there, but no, I, yeah, the, 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 the cannabis community is tremendously supportive right now, but we shall see, we shall see competition and, you know, business can, it can sharpen your elbows sometimes and yes. you know when it's your money and, and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, no, I think it's great. And, and, and listen, that's why I got the class. Get in now. Get in Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And you know, I always say we are a, a baby of an industry. Not, I mean, oh. just even in, in medical, like when rec comes along, it's going to, uh, Bring us into the teenage years, hopefully. But um, I'm going to argue that we're babies and it may bring us into the toddler years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the way that the steps we take forward and the steps we take back, you know, maybe we should just stay in infancy for a little bit. <laughs> but, my motto in, in cannabis is that for every two steps forward, we got one back and one sideways. Oh, God. It's like the hokey pokey. So many details. <laughs> so many details. We'll get there, though. Hey, hey, you know what? We're taking steps. We're taking yeah. steps. Think about that. Think about 10 years ago. We weren't even taking steps. So the we're fact sure. that we're taking steps, that people have full-time jobs, that people have jobs that are getting benefits from this industry. Mm. And, you know, yes, job creation. Yes, we have created tax revenue streams for municipalities and stuff like that. All good. All good. And, and in the cannabis industry, we know for every core job in the industry, for every person that works in a dispensary, that works in a grow, that works in a, 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 a processing facility, three other jobs are created. 
three other jobs are created. So listen, we've got we got stuff to feed the politicians. We can keep them happy. Your job creation, your tax revenue, your uh, you know all that stuff is good. But um, no, it's uh, it, it, it's baby steps right now, and I think that's part of you know part of those baby steps are learning also some of the things that weren't done very well and some of those things are involved with social justice and racial inequity and, and the way licenses are being distributed now but you know that 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 perhaps is for another day uh, we're talking education now <laughs> yes yes but don't worry we will talk about that um, yes, we will. So yes, we will. On, on the platform education education is cannabis education is booming nationwide but i like to consider BPA 227 to be one of the pioneers, at least in Maryland. So tell me how we got here. Okay, this is um, I'm, this is my origin story. Okay, so I'm going to take you back a while here. So let me let me yak a bit and stuff like that. And um, I'm going to take you back to a, a student, one of my favorite students of all time. And it was a young man named Tyler Wells, and he took a course from me back in nine, uh, 2008. It was the fall of 2008, and it was an intro to business course. And fall of 2008, the entire economy was going in the toilet. This course was almost the perfect course to have at that time. Tyler's taking my class, and it's 2008. The economy's going in the toilet, and they don't know anything. I mean, they don't know what a subprime mortgage is. They don't even know what the stock market is. So why I love Tyler was Tyler did not have a filter on him. I have so many students of mine that, that simply won't ask a question when they're confused. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to do, I don't want, you know, Tyler did not have that. I don't understand what par value is, Mr. Ewer. I don't understand what you mean by the interest rate. I don't understand what AIG or Bear Stearns does. Half the kids rolled their eyes when Tyler did that, but the other half were like, thank God for Tyler. Thank God for Tyler. Always the class was tremendous. And I also have to tell you, he was kind of straight out of central casting for surfer dude. I mean, he had the hair, kind of had the look, but, and that'll become an issue later. So <laughs> Tyler takes my class. We, we, he is successful in the class. He says, Mr. Ewer, I'd like to take another class with you. And we look at my, uh, uh, my schedule for the next semester and what he needs. And there was a small business management class. And I said, he said, oh, that sounds interesting. What do you do in there? And I said, Todd, it's about starting a business. We talk about management, marketing, you know, writing a business plan. How do you get funding and all that kind of stuff? And he's like, wow, that sounds awesome. What business are we starting? And I said, well, Tyler, well, you know, we, we don't actually start a business. We just kind of talk about starting a business. And he said to me the most brilliant thing a student has ever said. He said, Mr. Ewert, that's pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> you know what? I was like, you know what, Tyler, that is fucking stupid. Why am I teaching this class about starting a business and not starting a business? So in that class, we came up with this idea of selling rain barrels. All right. Yeah. 55 gallons, saving the bay, 55 gallons at a time. We're in Anne Arundel County. They give more money to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. It just fit. Yeah. All right. So before I was the cannabis professor, I was the rain barrel dude for about five years this class cranked out so many rain barrels, we sold $30,000 and 20,000 of that, 10,000 of it had to pay for the parts and the stuff that went in the barrel, but 20,000 of it went back to the college. We got books for students. We gave them nice. for classes. It was tremendous. Tyler goes off. He graduates the college. He goes off and has a great time. And now we fast forward about 2013. And I'm teaching the rain barrel class, Tyler's, Tyler's baby at this point. And they're starting to talk about cannabis. 
All right. There was a television show on CNN called High Profits. Um, from the business standpoint or a business professor standpoint, these were the two dumbest people you could possibly imagine that somehow fell into a license in Colorado. Now, it was pretty easy to get a license in Colorado. It's one of the problems with Colorado. They licensed too many people, too many people bootstrapped it. You got a lot of mold out there. You got a lot of issues in the grow facilities. Mm. But these two idiots fell into a dispensary in Breckenridge, Colorado. And by sheer, I mean, you could not imagine if there was a business decision to be made, they did the exact opposite and wrong thing, but they were just in the right place at the right time. So my students are talking about this. I mean, they're like, hey, Mr. Eber, have you watching the show? And I was like, yeah, I was watching the show. And I'm like, these are the things not to do. Whatever they do, do the opposite. But they, but the kids don't care about that. What they're like, can I get in this business? And my attitude was absolutely, why not? Move out to Colorado. It's a legitimate business. These people are in it. If they can do it, you can do it. So right at that time, all of a sudden out of my front uh, of the door of my office, Tyler Wells walks in. Have not seen the young man for five years. And he says, Mr. Ewart, I just wanted to come back and tell you my life has changed dramatically. And I, I, I need to tell you about this. And I said, so what, what, what's going on? My dad got the cancer. My dad was a farmer out in uh, California. He grew artisanal lettuce. I have no idea what artisanal lettuce is. I think it's like arugula and radicchio and things like that. <laughs> right. And I, he said he got so sick, uh, and he's better now, so all good. That, that story ends very well. He got so sick he couldn't run the farm. So he said, asked his son Tyler, he said, can you come out and run the farm? Tyler converts the farm to medical cannabis and actually was growing a strain very similar to the strain called Charlotte's Web. And that's the, the, the strain that the young girl from Virginia, they had developed for her very low THC, very high CBD. And this was a young lady that I believe was having about 300 seizures a week, grand mal seizures. And this strain has knocked it down to about one per month. It's absolutely, we need more Charlotte's Web stories out there. Um, and so that was the type of strain that he was growing. And I said, oh my gosh, Tyler, you've got to come to class and talk to my students. I literally was had class in about five or 10 minutes when he showed up at my door. And he's like, oh, Mr. Eward, I, I can't stand up. You're, you're like good at lecturing and, and yakking and stuff like that. I don't know how to do that. And I said, Tyler, listen, what we're going to do is just like that TV show uh, inside the actor's studio, we're just going to sit next to each other. I'm going to be this dude, James Lipton, and you're going to be the famous person. And I am simply going to ask you questions. So that was a critical thing, too, because that has become the model for my class. And it went great. Nice. Tyler was perfect. I could steer him toward, you know, sometimes he wanted to go off on a little tangent and something <laughs> like that. I could steer him back towards kind of the needs of the class absolutely engaging. I got students that are fixed on him. And I mean, listen, all right. The, the, the unicorn that is out there in higher education right now is how do we keep, how do we attract and keep young male students? We are losing them. Most colleges are majority female right now. Really? Uh, I, I think it has, from my standpoint, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. My standpoint Women at 18, 19, and 20 are just much more mature. Um, the story I like to tell is I, I was once teaching an accounting class, and I hand back, it was a, a day after the test, and I hand back the tests, and I, um, I hand it back to a young man. He got about 70 on the test, and a, a woman in the class got about 
90 something on the test. And I always just kind of hang out. If students have questions about their grade, you know, just come up. And so these two are the last two in the room. And he says to her, well, you see, I would have done so much better in this course, but I don't like accounting. And she turned to him and she says, you know what? I don't like accounting either, but I want to get into Towson next year and I better get an A in this class. And so that to me was really indicative. Why? I mean, they were both 18 or 19. Why was she so much more mature that even a class you don't, I mean, listen, you know, I'll take classes you don't like, you know, yeah. afford to, you know, general education courses. I mean, you don't like the classes in your major. My question is, what are you majoring in that for? You know, at least take something that you like. I mean, don't let me convince you to be an accounting major. I mean, <laughs> be an accounting major because you love accounting or something like that. Yes. But, you know, that that maturity was it. So the, the, the challenge these days is how do we get that 18, 19, 20-year-old male? And then how do we keep them engaged in the school when they're only interested in the classes that they like and stuff like that? So I've got 20 kids and most of them were male in that class that are absolutely engaged, all right? So I say to Tyler, uh, the class is over, it's you know an hour and 15 minutes long. I said, Tyler, I gotta go teach another class. And he, I said, do me a favor, these kids still got some questions, man. Just, just hang as long as you can, answer their questions, safe travels back to Cali, I love you, thank you very much. So I go off and I teach my other class, I think it was an accounting class, another hour and 15 minutes, and I happen to walk back the same way. And instead of 20 people in the room with Tyler in the front, this is an hour and a half later, there's now 50. Wow. There's now 50 in the room. And I literally stood in the hallway and I see Tyler up at the front and he waves to me and stuff like that. And if there was ever a light bulb above your head moment, that was mine. And I, at that moment said, this is the class. This is what we have to do here. This is what they, and the questions were great. Mm. they were just tremendous and they weren't like oh dude how do you get the highest thc and stuff like that and he shot that down right right in the beginning because he clearly knew the growing of the plant and one of the kids was like oh you know so much man you can you can you can grow like the most killer stuff and he says listen the market right now is for this for young kids that are suffering from seizures i can sell this for more and from a business professor standpoint beautiful he understood <laughs> the target market he understood where the money was he understood, you know, that was that was just a, a proud moment for me. I remember one of the other kids asked him in class, um, he said, do you, what about security? Do you guys worry about security? Because the, they have kind of open farms in California, and this was an outdoor grow. And it was about 100, 150 miles, I believe, east of uh, uh, San Francisco. And there was a community of growers there. And, and Tyler said, you know, we feel safe about our fields. We, we watch each other. They're protected on our property. They're not in obvious places and stuff like that. And we watch out for each other. The five or six growers in the area, we see a dicey looking car, somebody weird in the neighborhood. We call each other up and say, hey, check out the Chevelle or something like that. There goes community. There you go. There you go. But he said, my one concern is my 150 mile drive when I drive into San Francisco and drop off product at the dispensaries. Because even though his product, very low THC, won't get you high, uh, you know, but very good for uh, dealing, excuse me, with seizures and things like that, it looks like the regular stuff. All right. So he said, that is my biggest concern. That drive when I go and I, and they literally at that time were making their sales directly to the grower would literally just bring in a bag and you could sell it directly at a dispensary in California at the time. Um, and the kid, the kid said to him, he said, Brinks for weed 
And Tyler looked at him and he said, I would pay you for that service. And it was like, oh my God, they're thinking. They're look at they're looking at the regulations. They're looking at the industry. So it was that that was the moment. That was the moment. It took me about a year to get the class approved. Um, I, I caught headwinds. I caught headwinds on this class. I mean, I, I got very learned people I work with, learned and from the definition that they have PhDs, okay? So I'm not saying they're smart, they got degrees. I mean, literally joke with me like, ooh, is your next class the heroin class? Yeah, yeah, the cannabis class is the gateway to heroin and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of stupid that I, I, I face even. But, you know, that, that not all, just some. Most of my colleagues get it. Uh, my boss, who might be quite conservative on the political standpoint, she gets it. And she's like, Shad, you're putting butts in seats. These are jobs these kids are getting and stuff like that. They're starting businesses. Can't be any better. You keep going. You keep going here. So that was the, that was the beginning. Uh, I finally got the class approved and it was launched in January, the spring of uh, 2015. That was my very first section. Um, the regulations, the Maryland uh, Medical Cannabis Commission's regulations were not finalized. They, it took three more versions of it. I literally went through the regulations with them and then a week later said, guess what? They just changed them all, tossed them all your notes. We're starting over again. <laughs> but it was great. It was great. I, 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 I thinned out what I call my stoner boys, the young 18-year-olds that are like, <laughs> cannabis class, let me take this. And it has become a very serious point. I mean, the people that take my class take the class because it is a serious class. We don't we don't screw around. I mean, I even keep my hair short because of the class. I had a person come in there. Daniel Lilly used to be with Agrobiologics. He's now in the um, edible business. And once um, uh, um, uh, Maryland does uh, finally get to the point where we can sell some edibles here in the, in, yeah. in the dispensaries, you're going to start seeing some of his stuff. He does a um, that astronaut ice cream. It's oh. infused and so that's yeah, pretty tasty. Um, but he came into class one day as a, as one of my guest speakers and um, he, he's a pretty buttoned up guy. I mean, had a jacket and tie on and everything like that, but he brought out a picture of himself and he said, look at my hair used to be down to my ass crack. Excuse my French here. And he said, nobody listened to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody took me seriously. Now, listen, I am all for expressing ourselves the way we look. I'm wearing a t-shirt from the Daco conference. Oh, yeah. Uh, Diasporic Alliance for Cannabis Opportunities. I've been a speaker there uh, two years in a row. I can't go up this fall because we're not going to be doing it live. I yeah. know. It's a great conference. I get to go into a room of uh, 50 black people and I tell them the reason you're getting screwed out of opportunities in the uh, cannabis industry is because of white people. But by the end of the session, they're cheering for me and stuff <laughs> like that. So it's, uh, it, 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 that's been a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing. But um, no, it's uh, uh, the, the class. We take things very seriously in there because we have to take things seriously in there. So, I, yeah, like I said, I, I wish... You know, I, I once had did another podcast and I had a, the person I, I was with, I, I said, well, you know, I think we should get your haircut and I don't think you should use words like weed, pot or dope. I think we should use words like cannabis. And she was like, well, you know, I, I just don't want to live in a world like that. I want to live in a world where I can tattoo right across my forehead. I want to smoke pot. And I said, well, facial tattoos aside, you may want to <laughs> consider that. Yes. But we're not in that world. Mm-mm. We're not there yet. 
I mean, again, I have learned colleagues that ask me about the heroin course being the next course, um, you know, and I, I fight headwinds on this all the time. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, we're not there yet. We're getting there. We're, we're getting, getting there. there. You we're know, we are in a transition phase now. So the course uh, has rolled forward. Uh, I have taught it every single semester. Um, the interesting part about the course is that it is a standalone course, which is not copacetic here in the state of Maryland. Maryland wants, and, and I, I, I have no problem with this, Maryland wants you to be in an educational degree program that leads to a job, all right? That there, there, that there shouldn't be classes out there, that they should lead to some kind of career preparation on some level. So standalone courses don't really cut it anymore in Maryland. So my goal has been for the last three years at least is to develop a certificate program for entry-level workers in this industry. Entry-level workers because I work at a community college and that's a lot of our, our market, but entry-level workers because I've analyzed this industry. And I believe this is a rough estimate that have been about 200,000 jobs created in the United States in the cannabis industry. And a very, very, very small percentage of those at the very top require a master's degree or a PhD. All right. Chief horticulturalist, maybe a chief chemist at a, um, at a, a processing plant. But the vast majority of the positions are entry level positions. Mm -hmm. All right. Whether you're at a dispensary. You can start out a dispensary. You are a retail worker. And you, are, you know, it, it's highly specialized, but you're a retail worker. You go to work in a, in a grow facility. You're going to take little plants and put them in, from little pots and put them into bigger pots. I mean, it's hands on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the types of jobs. So I'm a little disconcerted by the fact that the college programs that have been coming out are all at this level. What What are you prepping? I mean, I. I guess it's easier to do the cannabis science and do it through a med program or something like that. But I just think that you're maybe selling something that, that those graduates might be a bit disappointed because I got a feeling right now, the people that are chief horticulturalists, they really like their job and they're not giving it up. They've been waiting 25, 30 years to work legally. Yes. Yes. They don't want to give that up. So I'm a little worried that there's that, that the educational end is really at least credit education is very top heavy masters and PhDs. I think actually the people that are doing the best job for the entry level workers are non credit. You know the training people that cut now some of them are fly by night. You know THCU and hemp staff is okay. Uh, uh, but talk about I mean, it. Talk about it. I, I too. I now want to just pause and tell you this. One of the things that I've learned, especially as we've pivoted as an organization, is you know, out of the hundred thousand patients that we have in the state of Maryland, about seven percent of them work directly in the industry. Right, and that's rough numbers. Way still waiting for confirmation from the MMCC. And if you really, really dig deep and think about that. The majority of that 7% are the ones who greet you when you walk in. They're the ones that are dispensing your medicine. They're the ones that's, that are trimming your buds to perfection and processing the material. And they're not the ones who you call when you have an issue or you're looking to get 
hired per se. So I agree with you. I'm just going to say for the record, I too agree with you. I'm thankful for the programs that we have in Maryland, the trajectory of programs, the amount of knowledge that you can get. Um, but I think it does a bit of a disservice to those who are entering in entry level, because most of the time, those are individuals who are, they may have a bachelor's degree already in something else, right transitioned from another another uh, industry, maybe gaming, maybe recreation, um, or they just don't have the skill sets to be able to perform at a master's level to get the type of education to really get them what they need, which is a, a promotion, right? Yeah. You know? yeah get to a career path, right? So not, definitely not knocking University of Maryland or any other uh, Maryland University Integrated Health, um, <laughs> Integrated Health, you know, those, those degrees are there, but I think it's super important, especially for the access to be able to get through that trajectory has to start very much community, has to start very much non-credit, very much on the, the, the level that our entry level folks can get to. Absolutely. And and that's, uh, you know, and that's still part of the evolution of an industry being, you know, we're still taking baby steps and, and, and listen, colleges are slow. <laughs> we do things very slowly. So, uh, I mean, it's going to take us time. And, and uh, again, some of the headwinds that I deal with at the college are uh, manufactured headwinds. You know, at first I had, uh, in the very beginning, before there were any programs out there, uh, I had uh, uh, administrators at the college that were absolutely convinced that the federal government was going to pull Pell Grants, federal funding, if we even had a course or anything like that. And it wasn't finally till we had about 50 programs out there. And it was actually the University of uh, California, Berkeley, that had a program where I could finally go to the administration. And because their answer was always, well, they must be private colleges. They don't have to worry about the federal government. Mm -hmm. And when I finally said, the largest public university in the on the planet, University of California, has a program, and they're not pulling federal funding from that. So I got over that hurdle, but the other hurdle has been that that if we have a cannabis program, it could be so offensive that other people that have no interest in cannabis, let's say an architecture major or a an accounting major, mm. would not come to Anne Arundel because we have a cannabis program. <laughs> That's an argument. It's how do you argue against that? You can't argue against the potential thought of a potential person in their potential mind. Um, on the other hand, we have classes about homicide and we have classes about, uh, you know, dealing with pedophilia and our human services. Nobody seems to have an issue with those classes, but the cannabis class, it, it still freaks them out. It still freaks them out. So the, 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 the hurdle I'm dealing with right now is that I have everything in place for a certificate program, a five course program, intro to business, my cannabis course, uh, intro to horticulture, intro to chemistry, and a class on addiction. And I, it is stopped at the level of the board of trustees. In the state of Maryland, the final steps to getting a program, a certificate mm -hmm. program where you get a diploma at graduation, is it must go through the board of trustees at your institution and then be approved by the Maryland Higher Education Commission. Mm. And mine has been stopped at the Board of Trustees with an addendum on the, uh, on the it's a formal proposal. And the addendum was, we will move this forward when there is uh, full legalization at the federal level. So I sit in a, in a holding pattern here. And I, I believe, the, well, I believe the college is missing out on uh, uh, enrollment opportunities. Absolutely. I believe, 
I believe students from all over the world. So let you know, let me talk a little bit about who takes my class. Um, uh, I'll say it's two big groups, but there is a third group. I do want if I if I forget about that, remind me about that. Okay. Number one, the people that take my class are people that want to get in the industry. Um, I, I I've got I am recognized. Many people know the course. In the very beginning, uh, when Deb Mirren was the uh, uh, served on the MMCC board. Uh, Deb was the educational person there, and she would actually list my class right there, the direct link to my class right on the MMCC's website. So I have a number of folks in the, in the state that know about my class, and pretty much I think a student that after they graduate my class can walk into a dispensary and say, hey, I took Professor Ewood's class over at Anne Arundel. You at least get an interview. You at least get an interview. So that's one set. They want to uh, get into the business, all right? So they take my class. The other big set is the set of what I call my ganjapreneur, all right? The people that are doing, and my stick is very simple here. Uh, my students don't have the economic wherewithal to, to get the licenses. I mean, listen, you, 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 you got to be Gary Mangum to get Forward Grows license and have a nice $25 million sitting in a bank because you mm -hmm. can't get into the banking system. You can't get a loan to get in this. So it's either got to be generational wealth or wealth that, you know, you cobble together from a bunch of different sources and stuff like that. But um, so for the vast majority of my students, they're not getting a license. All right. Actually, in my very first section was Laura Toskoff, her and her husband, Tony. Uh, they own Greenpoint Wellness up in uh, uh, Linthicum. Mm -hmm. That's a great place. Uh, uh, Dean Warner, graduate of my class, graduate of Anne Arundel Community College, is the manager up there. So shout out to Greenpoint Wellness. Um, they are opening up Greenpoint Wellness Laurel uh, pretty soon here. So they are, yep, right there on Main Street. There is an awesome right. little donut place right across the uh, street from it. Little The old little tavern in, um, in, in Laurel right across this is now a donut shop. <laughs> right across the street will be uh, Greenpoint Wellness 2. And I have told the people at the donut shop, when this place opens, <laughs> get ready. You are, you are going to benefit from this. Yeah. It reminds me always of that. Uh, there was a picture a few years ago of, uh, of Girl Scouts out in front of a dispensary. <laughs> they had all the cookies out. And I was like, those are the type of people I want to get into my class. Right? <laughs> so, so okay, but so that that that's actually the perfect pivot to that second group, the Ganjapreneur group. Mm -hmm. So again, my students don't have besides Laura Toskoff, who who married well and and married a serial entrepreneur, and Tony Toskoff. Um, most of them don't have that economic wherewithal. So where I steer them is towards, and that's why I use the analogy of the gold rush, and I call it the green rush, because in the gold rush, the people that made the money. We're not the people that found the gold nuggets. It's the people that sold the picks and shovels. Open up the hotel, uh, 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 you know, sell the pan, uh, uh, the bordello, whatever. Those are the people that did well in the gold rush. We can't really name anybody that made a, a, that found a gold nugget. But everybody knows who Samuel Crocker is. He decided to start a bank, Crocker National Bank there. He benefited from the gold rush. So that's where I steer my students to look at what are those ancillary businesses out there. And right over my shoulder there, you can see, I'm going to try to point to it, a little sticker. Uh, I'm bending the wrong way. There you go. <laughs> that sticker is the perfect example. That was a student project in the class. He spent $495 and he had 1,000 of those stickers made. In nine days, he sold every sticker for $5 a piece. He cleared $4,500 on a class project selling mm -hmm. stickers. 
All right. I tell people all the time, get an American flag, put 50 little pot leaves on it, put America, legalize it underneath it. You will sell the T-shirts. I guarantee you. And you know what? That is also bearing out in the dispensaries now that I believe the profit margins in the dispensaries are starting to move away from the cannabis itself. And especially the flower, the, 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 the profit margin on the flower is fairly thin right now. There's more profit in the, uh, um, uh, in the concentrates. Mm-hmm. You know, remember vaping got knocked down for a, about six months because of the right. whole vaping crisis. Yeah. Um, but um, I think the real money is going to be made in the T-shirts, selling the batteries, selling the stickers. Yes. The cannabis is going to become kind of the bread, milk, and eggs that get you in the store, but the money that the dispensaries are going to be made, is going to be made on those other items there, which to me creates the opportunity for the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. You know, that and the, the other area that I really think is going, is, is growing now and, and becoming bigger is providing services, whether it's delivery services, whether it's a, a company like Tetragram that is trying to compile, yeah, you know Otha? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing him soon. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, Otha is going to make me an ambassador. And Otha and I have already connected the community. Yes. That, that community. You got it. You got it there. But I think those are the types of businesses also that are going to really. So if you can put something in a dispensary where a dispensary owner can make some money on it, you're going to make some money. And if you can provide some services in one of the areas that I think we have a great a lack of data is consumer usage. And I think that's what Otha and Tetragram is going for. We have pretty good data, and depending on the states, Washington State uh, uh, gives out a lot of data on sales. We have good sales data. Yes. But sales data is not consumption data. You know, I mean, I, I, I had a, a Madison Bird in my class, and she was working at a dispensary here in the District of Columbia, uh, worked for Corey Barnett. And uh, district wellness and stuff. Yeah, community, community people. Um, You too can join our community here and know all these cool people that will probably be on a podcast. Corey's somebody you got to get on to. He's really good. I was going to say, I'll I'll link up for uh, his information because I know but yeah. We'll We'll get you that. Um, But she she actually has a product um, um, that she is trying to develop. And she's actually going through Anne Arundel Community College. We have a little, um, what we call a hatchery, which is like a business incubator space there. Mm-hmm. And she actually, in her very first year at the college, um, won about $3,000 to support her business. And she became one of our ESI scholars, which means she gets support to get this business going. Where well, her whole business is based on a couple of things. One, that people buy the vape pens and then they don't know what they have. Oh my God, which one was this? So she just has these little kind of cool little uh, devices that go around the vape pen that would help you identify it. But she also talked about how many customers come back and say, the damn thing don't work Mm -hmm. or it's not working now. And I only used half of it. So sales data is great. It shows what people are buying, but it doesn't give us usage data. And, and, And what I have found out with usage data, which is really hard to try to get out of people, is that they lie. <laughs> and they lie in both directions. Some people lie because they want you to think they're like some big stoner and I can do anything. And I, you know, I, I, the moment I wake up, I take a couple of bong hits and I do my. 
And then there's other people that are like, oh, my God, I don't want you to think I'm a drug addict. Uh, I barely use it. Just on weekends only. <laughs> at night. So I, I think so what you're doing there or anyone out there that is trying to get real uh, usage data, I think you're doing a, a service to all the, the entire industry. Because I think that is a critical missing piece that we have here. So I said that. So we've got the people that want to work in the industry. Mm-hmm. We got the people that want to start businesses. And again, I steer them towards those ancillary businesses primarily. But there is a smaller third group. And that third group is the um, is the group of people that have been suffering. They have been suffering with some kind of medical issue. And they realize that the Internet is... <laughs> Internet has a lot of truth on there, but internet has a lot of garbage on there. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting through the garbage on this. It, it, it's too important for them, you know. So they, I have had students take my class simply for the reason of I know Mystery Work's going to have some people in front of me, like a Deborah Kimless, like a Deb Mirren, uh, uh, like people from the medical profession, the attorneys that I bring into the class, the, the, that they're going to be able to get some some real information. And that that I'm that I feel I'm doing a service for people actually. I mean, and, and some of it has been tough. I mean, listen, like I say, uh, one of the challenges is, it, it, you know, of going online is like I said before, what we say in two two seven stays in two two seven. You know, um, I just want them to be able to be as open as they have been in the past. I've had students that have had to share, you know, pretty pretty serious things, you know, pretty serious health issues and stuff like that. Listen, one of my, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one of the most inspiring things I've done here and a couple of things. One, I had a dear friend of mine, Scott Anderson, uh, stage four glioblastoma, same thing that John McCain had. My friend Scott lasted about four months. Um, and I remember when his uh, wife came over at the very, uh, came over one time, brought him over and he couldn't even get up the steps. We just stayed out on the porch and I gave him some tinctures that I had made and stuff. And then at his memorial service, and they couldn't even have it immediately after his death. It took some time. It was just so shocking for the family. Mm-hmm. But she came up to me and she said, you know what, Chad? You gave him the gift of sleep. And for the last month of his life, that's the greatest gift he could have had. He was in such pain. They had tried everything. They had tried some radiations and stuff like that. And it left some burns. And, you know, it was just painful. The treatments were painful as well. The other story that I had that just absolutely keeps me going all the time was one time I um, I did a open house here in D.C. It was up at the Dance Warehouse up on 14th Street in Adams Morgan. They had rented it out for a Saturday and it was kind of a cannabis thing. And it was it was different vendors and different different cannabis things. And a, a, a buddy of mine had got a table for it, but he couldn't be there. Uh, he had a hydroponic shop and he said, oh, shit, I rented the table already, but I can't be there. I've got a, another thing. If you take my brochures, you can take your syllabus and do your stuff. Like I said, everything is sales. So I'm always out there yakking it up about cannabis. Absolutely. Yeah, I go up there 10 o'clock on a Saturday. It's a six hour deal. I'm behind the table. I'm doing my, you know, and you're doing it every 30 seconds. It's, It's exhausting. I mean, if you've ever had a table and pitched something, you know, you're, you're a machine. You have to be a machine over and over and over, over, again. over, and, over and over again. So by the time you get to four o'clock, you're pretty exhausted. So I, I'm walking and I had parked about four or five blocks away, I think 11th or 12th street. And I'm walking across 14th street and I got my bag and I got my display thing. You know, I look like some homeless teacher walking down the street 
And all of a sudden, I hear somebody start saying, Professor Ewert, Professor Ewert. And I generally don't hear my name screamed out loud in the middle of 14th Street in Adams Morgan. But it was a gentleman in a car, and he was parked right across the street. And he said, do you have a minute where I can talk to you? And I was like, dude, yeah, okay, what do you need? What do you need here? And he said, man, I, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the cannabis thing and stuff like that. And he got out of his car, and I noticed that he was limping really bad. And I saw there was scarring on one side of his face. And he, he started, you know, before I got mad, he started telling me a story. And he said, listen, I knew you were going to be here. I'd seen you on TV. My class got some coverage in the very beginning. And I saw that you were on the, you know, the list of people that were going to appear here. And I wanted to talk to you about this stuff. He said, but I got in my car at four o'clock this morning to drive down here. And I was so nervous because I had PTSD. I had served in Iraq. I had gotten, uh, I had become an opioid addict. Um, he was a pretty good opioid addict, but he was a terrible criminal. And in an attempt to get more opioids, he attempted to steal from a CVS. And he ended up in Jessup for two years. He was able to kick the opioids, but he still had the PTSD. So he said, I've been, I sat in my car in the driveway from four o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock in the morning because I was trying to get up the, 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 the courage to come meet you. And then I drove down here and I've been parked here since 1030 in the morning. And I've watched you because I could see you through the window. But I couldn't, I couldn't get myself out of the car. I, I, I can't be in a room with a lot of people. And even crossing the street was really hard for me. So I've been waiting here for you to come out. And at that point, I said, you, you have my time, sir. So he said, can you just tell me what's happening in Maryland? It was just prior to it being uh, uh, released for uh, uh, medical use. And I told him the whole process of what he was going to have to do to get his license, what he was going to have to do in terms of getting a doctor, that he wasn't going to be able to go to the VA. He was going to have to go to a private doctor. I had a list of the doctors already that the MMCC had started to generate. And I, I'd spread it all out. I had the whole little supply chain, the, the grower, the processor, the dispensary, and I showed him where the MMCC, how they fit in and how you have to get approved, but you got to go to an approved doctor and all this stuff. And, and I said, but you can do this and stuff. And he said, you know what? I can do this, man. I can do this. And he goes, you know, thanks. Thanks for it, for the, your help. I've got hope. And I walked away and I walked away and I'm walking to my car. And I said to myself, you know, you got into this business because you thought you were going to help people start businesses. You know, and I then for a while I figured, okay, I'm, I'm really in the t-shirt business. I ain't really in the marijuana growing business. I'm more in the sticker business. I'm more in the t-shirt business. But by the time I got to my car, I realized, you know, somehow I got my ass into the hope business here. <laughs> and it's it's that guy and sitting on the hood of his car with the whole thing spread out and me writing shit down and being a professor and you know, giving him the websites and telling him what to do. That's what keeps me going, man. That's what keeps me going every day. You know, that there are people, and that's my two great fears are this. My, 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 my one fear is the overpromising. I never want my students to end up in a dispensary. Do not overpromise. Yes, we have some anecdotal evidence of, of, of tumor reduction, but please don't tell them to get off the chemo if their doctor has told them to be on the chemo. You know, that I, I fear that. And I, I try to rein my students in, be, show them the facts, tell them what we know, 
we we go from you know journals we don't go from just an internet story we we look to 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 uh you know the lancet and the american uh, you know medical association we look for juried things and stuff never over promised but my other great fear is the fear of people that can benefit that don't even consider this you know that 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 this that, that are going now right now somebody right now is getting their first opioid prescription you know and they're going down a path you know maybe it's fine for them maybe they're one of the people one of two people that don't have an addiction problem with opioids but maybe they're the other one of the two and they are and they could have gone down a different path here and a path that would have you know a, 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 a been a better path for them but a path that would have been safer for them and that that that's my great fears and that's what keeps me going every day every day doing this that is amazing and, and thank you because we need people like you we need people like you who give that you know hope that give that inspiration that teach us you know shovels and picks don't mm -hmm. don't run after the the big one you know i've just heard someone say something recently about the fact that we need to really kind of kill the word green rush and really kind of teach individuals how to create their own economies, create their own businesses, especially now, since we're still in infancy, right? Listen, the, the green rush line was because, um, okay, I'm a college professor. I don't know. I've never been interviewed on television or radio or anything until 2015. I sold thirty thousand dollars worth of damn rain barrels. I gave twenty thousand dollars to students, and nobody gave a crap about the rain barrels. Nobody did. But you talk, you talk about uh, oh, he's creating a buzz. <laughs> then all of a sudden, so the green rush thing was a function of the fact that I, I I learned that when you do a two or three minute radio interview, they want a little sound bite. And the green rush soundbite was a good one, but I agree with you 100%. And, and, and you know what? That is also part of the maturing of the industry. And all industries go through this, the steel industry, the corn industry, the air conditioning industry. There is a very typical path yeah. that goes on that, that, and that's what I think I bring to it. Okay, yes, I'm a cannabis user, all right? And I use it both medically and recreationally. But what I bring to this is that you can create a business and I can help you get there. And if that's your dream, and the other thing that's really interesting as well in my class is the number of students that really don't care that much about cannabis. You know, they're just simply, hey, listen, I see this as the next opportunity. Teach me. Teach me. I'll, I'll jump in on it. And you know what? We need good, smart entrepreneurs that have cut their teeth in other industries that can come into this industry. Because what we don't want is like the two idiots from High Profits on CNN. We, <laughs> because I think we need people now that also can represent this industry in a positive way. Yes. Again, we're not quite to the point. I, my dad, my dad is now using transdermal patches. So, it, but it took five years and that was my dad. You know, and that was my sister and I, and we were hitting him with the facts and none of the, you know, no propaganda there. This was straight up facts. But as an 80 year old man who grew up, you know, oh, just say no, it's a gateway drug. It's, you could name every one of those things that he actually believed in. Yeah. But now that we got him on board, now my dad keeps asking me to mule drugs across the country. And I'm not going to mule you drugs, Pop. <laughs> you live in Tennessee. I'm sorry. You're not in a very progressive place. So what you're going to have to do is your old friends that are farmers down in Mississippi, go talk to them. 
because they're always willing to help him out. When my pop was in the doctor's office, he has some back issues and stuff like that. There's all these old farmers from Mississippi up there, and they're always like, Tom, get off of the opioids. I'm growing this in the backyard. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. I, live, I love seeing, you know, folks who grew up during the height of that time, during the, especially even, even my generation. I, I think the effects has slowly probably stopped trickling down through education, but my mother as well, you know, pff, dope, not doing this. You know, we, it's all the same thing. And now CBD is her, CBD is her best friend. Oh for, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you know, for if it, it works, oh my God. <laughs> Like John Boehner. Oh my God, I can make money at this. Oh my gosh, what a Mitch McConnell. Uh, now he's gonna he's gonna rape the country on the hemp deal here. If you're in Kentucky, and that's another discussion we can have. Yes. You, yes. you wait and see what scary things go down in Kentucky. If he all right, I'm gonna give you the preview for this one here, folks. If Mitch McConnell requires hemp to be grown indoors, that's racial. It has nothing, hemp does not need to be grown indoors. But if you want to take that small farmer, that small independent farmer out of the market, then say it does because you've just thrown $100,000 of production costs on top of it, which is unnecessary in, in industrial hemp. But that's a totally different podcast. And we'll oh talk about God. that another time. I will do some research after this to, to get more on that. All right. Um, but as we wrap up, I would love, because you, since you're in the business of helping folks start their business, yep. what's one Maryland small business in cannabis that you see doing great work? Oh, man. You, one to three, you know. just, just I'm, I'm going to go with Tetragram there. And then because I always... Uh, uh, have to support my students. I want to go here with Kitty Weedy. Kitty okay? Weedy shouted you out on her. She was my first guest, and she shouted you out on the interview as well. Come on. No way. She did. She did. Andrew has taken my class uh, uh, three times. Um, and, and listen, I almost told her story. Her story is absolutely inspirational as well. I mean, when she told that story in our class about not being able to play with her grandchildren and not being able to coach men's semi-pro football in, in the city of Baltimore, um, our, we were crying. We were crying in there. And she, to me, is, is just a, a, a wonderful person. Um, listen, I, I can't I don't want to sit because if I, I'll leave other people out. I've got students up in Baltimore that are doing delivery. I've got a, a young man named Henry that that. When he got his first job in the industry, now he is a, he's in equipment leasing now for uh, grow facilities and stuff. So again, doesn't touch the weed, doesn't grow the weed, but he's now making a six-figure salary. Um, Dean Warner, manager for Tony Toscoff, all, all make me feel so good about myself. But when Henry got his job and when he came to my class, he, he had worked at uh, Jessup Correctional. Uh, he had been involved in a brutal fight and was unable to continue working there. He was working at home. He had pivoted to a, a medical uh, a, a type business, and he was able to do it at home, and he was fine. Uh, you know, his wife and three kids, they were able to, to, to you know, a fine economic future. But he came to my class. He said, Mr. Ewert, I believe in this stuff. All right. Again, another person, problems with opioids. Um, and, and listen, the other line that I hear a lot in my classes, I'm self-diagnosed and I'm self-medicating and he was self-medicating and self-growing and he had, he was able to wean himself off the opioids and stuff like that. And literally then saw the light and decided I've got to get into this industry and stuff. And when he came to me, he said, Mr. Ewert, 
Just get me in. Just get me in the door 10 hours a week. I don't care. Any dispensary, anywhere. I will travel anywhere in the state of Maryland. I just want to get my foot in the door. He got his foot in the door, and within a month, he got a, a job with the equipment leasing company. And when he called me up, we were both in tears. He's crying because he's so damn happy. And I'm telling you, now, I'm going to say I was more happy when Henry got a job than when my son got his first full-time job, but I ain't going to go that far. <laughs> but I was pretty damn happy for Henry. Man. I mean, that that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Kitty Weedy, uh, 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 Tetra Graham, you know, all those companies, everyone. Uh, Jackie Cohen Roth and what she's doing. Uh, um, I mean, I think that's an amazing thing to 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 because I think that's all about bringing more people into the industry here. So shout out to everybody out there in Maryland doing the doing the hard work and 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 and, uh, and, and helping this industry along. Yes, yes. Well, that is about our time. I thank you so much once again. It's always great catching up with you, and I know that we won't. Uh, this won't be the last time, like I mentioned before. Uh, no, it won't, because you will be appearing in my class this semester. So oh, that's going to be so we're going to we're going to flip sides of the screen here, I guess. Yes, uh, yes. And I'll be asking the questions, and you'll be doing the yakking here. So, such so I, such an honor. I, I I appreciate it. Thank you so hey, much. The honor's mine. The honor's mine. You people make my class. Don't you get it? <laughs> I'm not lecturing. Ooh. ooh. I can't say that. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Don't worry. It, I've, I've heard nothing but great things about your class. So at this time, you're pretty much fully booked. But next semester, be sure to look out for the course. Um, I think a lot of, of great folks can get the valuable information to get started in the Maryland industry and to, you know, excel. You know, we're all about getting folks those jobs and actually understanding the industry as a whole. So you know, and if we can make people happy and listen, shouldn't you be happy when you go to work? Yeah. You, you want to go to work again. Don't let me convince you to be an accountant because <laughs> you want to be a damn accountant, but get in the cannabis industry because you love it and we can help you get there. Yeah. Listen to me, listen to Keisha. Well, well it's all good. Mm, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Talk to you soon. You take care of yourself. Okay. All right. Be safe and all that. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode and be sure to subscribe and check back next week to see what's happening in the cannabis ecosystem. If you like what you heard today, feel free to check out more of what we have going on, including our amazing membership program, and we'll catch you next week. Peace.